Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take this copy of the, your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians in chapter number 4. The book of 1 Corinthians and in chapter number 4. We're continuing with this series of the book of 1 Corinthians and exploring this book. And we're seeing here that the Apostle Paul has written a letter and he's asked for the church of Corinth to gather together in one place and for this letter to be read out loud. Now, this is going to be important because the church is having problems. The church is currently divided among other problems. And now as we get to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, we get to the heart of the matter. What is the source of all the problems? We understand that many times we look at the symptoms of the problem. We see someone getting angry. We see someone doing something foolish. And we try to treat the symptoms, but we ignore the main problem, the heart of the problem, the heart of the issue. We find this here in the book of 1 Corinthians and in chapter number four, we begin to see exactly what the problem is. Notice with me, if you don't mind, 1 Corinthians in chapter number four. 1 Corinthians chapter four, notice with me in verse one. Let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing of you that I should be judged of you or of a man's judgment. Yea, I judge not my own self for I know nothing by myself yet Am I not hereby justified that he that judgeth me is the Lord? Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the heart. And then shall every man have praise of God. And these things, brethren, I have in a figure transferred to myself and to Apollos for your sakes, that ye might learn in us not to think of men above that which is written, that no one of you be puffed up for one against another. For who maketh thee to differ from another? And what hast thou that thou didst not receive? Now, if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory as if thou had not received it? Now ye are full. Now ye are rich. Ye have reigned as kings without us. And I would to God that ye did reign, that we might reign with you. For I think that God hath set forth us, the apostles last, as it were appointed to death, for we were made a spectacle unto the world, and to angels, and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but ye are wise in Christ. We are weak, but ye are strong. Ye are honorable, but we are despised. 
Even unto this present hour, we both hunger and thirst and are naked and are buffeted and have no certain dwelling place and labor working with our own hands, being reviled. We bless being persecuted. We suffer it, suffer it being defamed. We entreat and we are made as the filth of the world and are the offscoring of all things unto this day. I write not these things to shame you, but as my beloved sons, I warn you. For though ye have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet have ye not many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. Whereof I beseech you, be ye followers of me. For this cause have I sent unto you Timotheus, who is my beloved son and faithful in the Lord, who shall bring you into remembrance of my ways, which be in Christ as I teach everywhere in every church. Now some of you are puffed up as though I would not come to you, but I will come to you shortly if the Lord will and will know not the speech of them which are puffed up, but the power. For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. What will ye? Shall I come to you with a rod or in love and in the meek spirit of meekness? And if you wouldn't mind, would you mark a pray, phrase that appears three times in this passage and then multiple times all throughout the book of 1 Corinthians? Notice if you don't mind the first reference of it in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 6, notice the phrase puffed up. Puffed up. And with the Lord's help, we're going to preach this message here, puffed up. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come to you, Lord, I'm just asking that you would just give us grace, that you would give us mercy, that you would give us an understanding, Lord, and that you would be honored and glorified from it, that we wouldn't be looking at ourselves, we'd be looking at you and see you high, holy, and lifted up. And as we see you high, holy, and lifted up, we'll see ourselves as we truly are, not what we think we are, what we imagine we are, but as we truly are. Lord, give us grace and help us now. Give us great discernment. We love you in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The Apostle Paul, as he continues to write to the church of Corinth, has already told him that he's praying for them. He pointed out the divisions that they had and that they had things that they needed to be fixed. He continued to go and explain that, that God is just looking for someone who's available. And he talked about the foolishness of preaching. He's gone on and tried to explain that there's three different divisions of people. That you have the natural man, those who are not saved. You have the spiritual man, the people who are saved and deciding to follow God. Then you have the carnal man who is saved, but they're looking at themselves. And he goes that ye are carnal. And he points out to the church of Corinth that they are carnal. They're full of flesh. They're all about themselves. They are not spiritual. No matter what they think they are, they are not spiritual. And so Paul has to speak to them like you would a child. And in fact, in chapter four, that's exactly what he's doing as he's speaking to them as if they were children and trying to explain to them in ways that they could understand that they are puffed up that they're puffed up. 
as the pride of Corinth has just gotten out of control, this pride has been a huge hindrance to the church moving forward. It's been a huge hindrance for this church to have influence for the Lord. Because of the pride this church has had, it has kind of stopped everything in its track. And instead of reaching out to the world, they've been battling each other because all of their pride thinks that they're better than everyone else. The word puffed up carries the literal term of being inflated. It's used throughout the book of Corinthians to describe their pride. What is pride? Pride, a good definition, is a false view of oneself. A false view of oneself. And of course, one of the big images of pride is being puffed up. Puffed up. Maybe I could give an illustration. I taught high school many years ago, and I remember one day in high school, we had a brand new transfer student who came in the middle of the semester. And she was young, she was pretty, and more importantly, she was new. And it was amazing to watch all of those high school boys peacock, strut. You watch their chest as they puffed up. All of them doing everything they could in that day one of getting her attention. You know, some of them, I've never seen them comb their hair, but all of a sudden they found a bathroom and stole a comb and you know, they're, they're, they actually look nice and they're walking by her. And I mean, this girl had as much help. Do you need help getting to your class? You need help finding your locker? You need, I mean, they were volunteering everything all puffed up. Yes. Trying to impress this brand new young girl. And then something else happened is that all the other girls in the class were now jealous and mad and hated her and whatnot. Whereas a couple days ago, they hated all the boys. And it was just an amazing phenomenon to watch as a teacher. I even had a student come to me and said, hey, you know what? Can you fail me? I want to repeat the next year so that way I could be in the same class as her. Puffed up. I mean, they're not thinking right. They're, they're doing whatever they can just to show off, to puff up, to inflate themselves, to try to show them bigger than what they really are, to put on a version to say, look at how great I am. How... That's what pride does, is that pride makes us think an unrealistic view of ourselves. It makes us think that we're greater than we are, that we're stronger than what we are. We're more knowledgeable than what we really are. And we like to puff up when we feel like we want to impress someone. We want to show off. We puff up. When, when we say we've got things handled, we puff up. And we're all pretty good at it. You said, not me. I, I'm lowly of heart. Oh yeah? Do you need help with that? No, I've got this. <laughs> hey, can I, can I help you out with this? I've got it. I'm good. I don't need help. Once. I can do it myself. I've got it. Right? We, we, we've got it. Whether, you know, we need help with something intellectual. I've got it. Um, you're pressing the wrong key. No, I've got it. Just press that. I've got it. I know what I'm doing. We like to puff up. This is part of being a carnal Christian 
is that we're looking at ourselves that we can't show weakness. We got to show how great we are, how smart we are, how brilliant, how independent we are, how we don't need anyone. We don't need God. We don't need help. We don't need advice. I've got this puffed up, puffed up. If you don't mind, let's walk through first Corinthians chapter four and let's see as the apostle Paul, remember he has them all together. He's has this letter being read And he is explaining now their pride and what their pride is doing because they're puffed up. Notice, first of all, their pride allowed them to judge like God. Their pride allowed them to judge like God. Now, the Apostle Paul begins with his position in verse number one, chapter four, verse one. Let a man so account of us as the ministers of Christ and the stewards of the ministry of God. As the Apostle Paul begins to describe his position, he says, I'm a minister. The word minister here literally carries the idea of an under rower. What's an under rower? The it comes from those who had to row the oars on a galley. Now remember, this is how ships would travel, is that they would have a galley ship. And a lot of times in the Roman world, a galley had slaves who were doing the rowing. And so as the Apostle Paul is saying, I'm a minister, he's using the same term as an under rower, that it shows that the Apostle Paul was not the slave master with a whip. Come on, guys, go. The Apostle Paul was not the guy beating the drums. The Apostle Paul was the slave rowing. He's a minister. I'm just a slave. I'm just a servant. I'm just a minister. I'm just doing what God told me to do. Now, that's not the elevated position that we would like to have. I'm just a slave. I'm just doing my job. I'm just doing what I'm supposed to. The Apostle Paul is not saying, look at me. I'm the Apostle Paul. Everyone bow down and acknowledge me. He's not saying acknowledge me. He's saying, I'm just a minister. I'm just a servant. I'm just the guy doing the work. That's all I am. Paul says, not only am I a minister, but I'm a steward. Someone who's a steward is someone who's in charge of someone else's finances. Now, when you start messing with people's money, they very much want to make sure that you're doing a good job. Uh, Even a bank teller, even the most poorly paid bank teller, they double check and triple check his till and better not have any money missing. It is a very big deal. When you start messing with people's money and he says, that's all I am as a steward. God has placed some things in my charge. It's not mine. It's God's. He said, get this done. You're in charge of this. Make sure it's taken care of. I'm putting you steward over this. And that's all I am. It's not even mine. I'm doing this on behalf of someone else. And I have to give an account to that someone else. I'm just a steward. Notice as it goes on in verse two, moreover, it's required in stewards that a man be found faithful. You understand a steward always has to keep in mind he has a master to please. He has to give an account to his master and that his job as a steward is always this, to be faithful. The idea of faithful carries with it and wrapped up together into the idea of being loyal. You don't want to have a steward who's not loyal to you. You don't want a steward who's 
not going to be there when you need him. You don't need a steward who can't be counted on. You can't be a steward who can't do his job. You don't want a steward like that. A steward has to please his master and has to be faithful, loyal, dependable, trustable, that when he's required to do his job, he is there. He says, I'm nothing more but a steward. Understand a steward doesn't have a lot of power. A steward has someone that he bigger than him that he has to give an account to. By the way, and this is going to bleed into the rest of this, a steward has to please one master. He may have all other people telling him how to do his job, but when it's all said and done, he has to please that one master. And that's the one he has to be faithful to. Notice as it goes on in verse number uh, three. But with me, it is a very small thing that I be judged of you or of man's judgment. Yea, I judge not my own self. Verse number three, he says, listen, a lot of you want to say that it's your job to judge me, to say what I'm doing right, what I'm doing wrong. He says, but to me, it's a small matter because he's the one I have to please. Now, if you guys are happy with me, great. If you're not happy with me, I have to live with it, but he's the one I have to please. I can't please everyone. That's something we have to learn. You know what, something about being puffed up is that we try to impress other people that really has no bearing on whether we're doing right or wrong. You can't please everyone and please God at the same time. Can't happen. You have to understand you have one master. The apostle Paul says, I know some of you aren't happy with me. I understand that some of you don't like the way I do things. Some of you thought it's your spiritual gift to go ahead and judge the pastor. He says, my job is not to be an account to you. My job is to be accountable to God, to face him. And so he says, but with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged of you. (laughs) It's not that big of a deal. When it's all said and done, you don't say whether I go to heaven or hell. When it's all said and done, you don't determine my rewards. You're not the one I have to face. You're not my creator. I have to stand before God. It's a small thing. He says, listen, I don't even judge my own self. And this matter here, he's not the one that determines what's going to happen in his life. That's God's job. He says, I'm not even big enough to judge myself. God is the one who holds everything and I have to please him. Verse number four. For I know nothing by myself, yet am I not hereby justified, but he that judgeth me is the Lord. Again, he's putting a big emphasis. He starts off. Now, if it's God's job to judge me, and it's God's job to judge other people, then what business do you have judging people? You know, the idea of puffed up brings us to the place where we feel like we could criticize what everyone else is doing. I'm spiritual enough that I could tell you everything you're doing wrong. You know, some people think that's a spiritual gift. My gift is criticism. (laughs) Uh, I'll tell this story. Uh, Paul Swanky, we have him often. We enjoy him uh, as an evangelist. Now, he's someone who, not afraid to speak his own mind. And he had someone once come to him and say, My spiritual gift is judging my pastor. It is my job to criticize my pastor and to see what he's doing wrong. Well, Paul Swanky was not very entertained by that and uh, had some choice words for him. Said, listen, that's not a spiritual gift at all. You are wrong. That's evil. That's pride. Get right with God and get right with your pastor. (laughs) Not messing with that. 
But you know, there's something when we get so prideful, we think that we could start judging others around us, start determining what they're doing right, what they're doing wrong. As another favorite evangelist that we have, uh, David Summendorf, he says, mind your own business. If, in fact, Paul Swinky, what he told the other guy, he said, listen, if you spend enough time soul winning and reading your Bible and praying as you ought, you don't have time to criticize your pastor. Amen. Go get right. David Summerdorf, he says, mind your own lawn. You have enough, uh, a hard enough time keeping your own lawn straight. You don't have enough time to fix everybody else's. You got enough problems on your own. Don't try to fix everyone else's when you still have issues going on. That's good advice. We can't, it's not our job to evaluate how right someone is with the Lord or how wrong someone is for the Lord. That's between them and the Lord. We could influence and we could point them out, but it's not our job. That's pride that gets us to the place where we feel like that um, <laughs> Bible college is great. Sorry, a lot of illustrations. You get some girls who've been raised in such a conservative home that they almost want to take a tape measure and start measuring everybody's skirt. That you have some that get so spiritual that they want to take uh, and look at some guy's hair and try to, oh, no, no. You know, they'll go to the idea that, well, how, sh- how long can my hair be? Well, what's the opposite of short, long? So if it's not short, guess what your hair is? Well, that makes it simple. right? But, you know, we have enough problems with our own self. We don't need to be going and checking everyone else's spirituality, checking out everybody else's standards, trying to see what everyone else is doing right and what everyone else is doing wrong. Because we've got enough issues for ourselves. And when it's all said and done, it doesn't matter what everybody else thinks. It matters what God thinks. But pride gets us to the place where we feel like we have the right. We're good enough. We're spiritual enough to go evaluate how everyone else is doing. God is a good enough job and he'll do a better job and more thorough enough job judging us than we ever could. In fact, notice verse five. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord come. All right, that's a pretty specific thing. Don't judge things before it's time. You wait for God to judge and remember that immediately after Jesus comes in the rapture, we're going to be at the judgment seat of Christ and everything is going to be evaluated. Notice again, verse number five. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will manifest the counsels of the heart. Then shall every man have praise of God. Maybe I give an example. Maybe there's a church member who's just quietly just cleaning all the bathrooms. They're not bragging about it. They're looking and other people judge them. You know what? That's they're not doing that much. But at the judgment seat of Christ to be made the light to say, this was a big deal. You know, one thing about them, they were faithful and God will reward that faithfulness that they were faithful to what God had given them to do. It may not been flashy, may not be lights, but it was what was necessary. And God says, they did right. What about you? We like to criticize other people without knowing the whole story, knowing the background or knowing what God is leading them. We can trust God and let God do his own job. So first of all, the apostle Paul, as he's rebuking them, he says, you know what? You're puffed up your pride. And you know what your pride's doing? It's making you think that you could judge like God does. He goes on and says, you know what? A second thing about your pride that you're puffed up is that your pride made them act like kings. Their pride made them act like 
kings. Notice as it goes on in verse number six. And these things, brethren, I have in a figure transferred to myself and to Apollos for your sakes, that ye might learn in us not to think of men above that which is written, so that none of you be puffed up one for another against another. Now, Remember that the problem in the church of Corinth that's been visible is that they have different divisions. You have the I'm of Paul crowd. And then you have the I'm of Apollos crowd. I'm of Cephas. I'm of Christ. And each one of them had their issues. The Paul crowd, they said, I stand with the founder. Let's stay with how it always was. Let's not change. Let's not move things around. Then you have the Apollos crowd. This is what my favorite internet preacher says. This is what my favorite evangelist. He's smarter than everyone else. We stand with him. You have the Cephas. This is what my camp says. My Bible college. My, my, my group that I hang out with. This is what they say. Then you have the super spiritual. I'm of Christ crowd. That says we're right. You're wrong. And uh, you need to get fix things. And all of them were wrong. So the Apostle Paul uses that, the heads of two groups, Paul and Apollos. And he says, listen, if you want to see how you're supposed to get along, look at me on Apollos. Apollos and I are friends. We're not against each other. We're not fighting each other. We're not going in the back. Apollos and I get along. So do you think that the two groups named Paul and Apollos should be fighting each other? If the two people that they're named off of are getting along? doesn't make sense. He says again, let's read verse six. And these things, brethren, I have in a figure transferred to myself and to Apollos for your sakes, that ye might learn in us not to think of men above that which is written. He says, listen, Apollos is a guy and I am a guy. We're both trying to serve God and our goal is to please him. And we get along. We don't have to fight each other because he does things differently. We don't have to fight each other because he's smart. We don't have to fight each other because he does things this way and I do things this way. We get along. We're friends. We don't have any problems. We don't see why you guys can't get along. That's just what people do. We like to name our little group and then get in a fight with everyone because we think we're better than them. He says, we're not to think of people above that which is written. This phrase here um, carries about it is don't go beyond what the word of God says. Apollos isn't some special spiritual leader. Paul's not a special spiritual leader. They're servants. They're ministers. They're supposed to be obedient to the Lord. God is the one that they're trying to please. Let's not make things bigger than what the Bible says. Stop that. Notice verse 7. For who maketh thee to differ from another? And what hast thou that thou didst not receive? Now, if thou did receive it, why did thou glory as if thou had not received it? So their pride made them act like they did all the work. Let me give an illustration. So let's say that I finally saved up enough pennies to get my wife a Thomas Kincaid uh, painting, not a picture, not a puzzle, but an actual painting. I meant thousands of dollars. And we get her this beautiful Thomas Kincaid. And so she has people come over and they go, wow, that is a beautiful painting. And my wife says, yeah, I worked hard on it. <laughs> well, did she paint that? No. 
Does she have anything to do with it? Then can she take credit for it? But you know, that's exactly what we do. People do all this work. They do all this stuff. And then we act like, yeah, yeah, that was me. Yeah, I put that together. I mean, did Thomas Kincaid call me and say, how to do this brush stroke? How do I, how do, I do this? I mean, did he even know I exist? No. I had nothing to do with it. And we love to insert our things as if, yeah. <laughs> the only reason why they're like that, that was me. Do they even know your name? Yeah, but that was me. I did this. And the church of Corinth have got to the place where, you know, you know why this place is so great? It's me. I meet people all the time who get sideways with a pastor that says, listen, if I left this church, it would fall apart. No, it wouldn't because it's God's church and God will take care of it. (laughs) I mean, if you feel like you need to test it, help yourself, but we're going to be fine. Because it's God's work. But people get the idea that I'm so important. If it wasn't for me, this whole place would fall apart. That's pride. Puffed up. We start to think that we're better than what we are. And that things are so dependent upon us. We need to be very careful with that. By the way, it doesn't have to be church. It could be work. Yes, if I wasn't at work, they would all fall apart. I mean, do they exist before you? I mean, what happens if you die? I mean, do they have close up shop at the funeral? I'm sorry to announce that because so-and-so died. I mean, we don't know how we're going to go forward. Might as well just close our doors. I mean, is that, did that business fail because you left? You understand we're less important than what we think we are. You're hurting my feelings. You're hurting my ego. Well, probably needed to be deflated anyways. But these Corinthians had got to the place where they're taking credit for things they didn't have a part of. If God is doing his own work building a church, we didn't do anything with it. We were just available and let God do his own work. We can trust him. But they're gotten to the place where they even think that, listen, the apostle Paul wouldn't be the apostle without us. Well, it doesn't work that way. Notice as he goes on in verse number eight. Now ye are full, now ye are rich, ye have reigned as kings without us. Now he's starting to lay into them and said, listen, you're acting just like kings. You're acting as if you were in charge. Your pride has got to the place where you think that you are the greatest example and that you have the right to tell everyone what to do in their life. He says, listen, I wish we were in the millennial kingdom when we were ruling together. Let's do that. But we're not. And you're not in charge. And you're not the boss. Stop acting like it. Stop thinking like you tell everything. He says, (laughs) verse number nine, he begins to talk about sarcastic preaching. Now, some of you who don't understand sarcasm, let me try to help you out. He's not meaning everything he says. He's saying it in such a way to emphasize a teaching. Give an illustration, all right? So, Verse number nine, for I think that God had set us forth to apostles at last, as if we were appointed to death, that we are made a spectacle unto the world and to angels and to men. He says, we look like fools to the world. We're a spectacle. He says, I'm an apostle, but you know what? All the world looks at me as a spectacle and doesn't want what I have. Think about the Apostle Paul. 
We may look and say, look at all the times he was used, the people he won to the Lord. He wrote 14 books of the Bible, praise the Lord. But then we look at Paul and say, look at all the time he spent in jail. Amen. I mean, how many of us say, I want the Apostle Paul's life. I want to go through everything Apostle Paul went through. Well, no, we go, no way. I don't want to touch that. Apostle Paul says, I'm a spectacle of the world. The whole world's watching me. And they're saying, that is stupid. Remember the word foolish here carries the idea of stupid. You know, to the world, looking at the Apostle Paul, they said, what in the world would possess a man to want to go to jail so many times? What would possess a man to endure so many beatings? We'll talk about this later on, but when it talks about the rods, the idea of the rods come from the idea that in the Jewish law, if it appeared that someone had, had violated the Jewish law, in order for him to be right with his peers again, he would get through the rod and they would beat him with it and it would be cleared and he would be able to minister to him again. So he said, I am willing to take the beating so I have the right to minister to you again. How many of you say, I volunteer to take a spanking? I volunteer to get beat really bad till my back's broken so I have the right to talk to you again. He says, I made a spectacle to the world. The world looks at me and says, you're foolish. You're stupid. Why would you go through this? Why would you go through the pain and suffering? I mean, Paul, why go through this? He says, I've been made a spectacle. The whole world's watching me and they're looking at me and saying that I'm stupid, but yet I'm doing it because I'm pleasing him. If I was doing it to please the world, there's no way I'd do this. If I was doing it to please you, there would be no way I'm doing this. I'm doing it because I'm pleasing God. But verse number 10, we are fools for Christ's sake, but <laughs> you're wise in Christ. Notice what he says. He says, I look like a fool to the world. I look stupid to the world. The world looks at me and sees the thing in foolish. But you know what? You Corinthians, the world loves us. The world loves how we look and how we smell and what we do. They haven't been offending the world at all. And so whereas the apostle Paul has been doing the work and started a hundred churches, he's like, what have you done? We've talked about it. He's going to talk that at the end of the passage. We taught a course about how to start churches. Well, how many churches you start? None. But, but we know about it. Well, the apostle Paul says, I've discipled people and people are in the ministry. How many have you done? We know a course on it. We could tell you how to do it. We'd be glad to lecture about it. It's almost like the old adage that those that do, do. And those that don't, teach. They're glad to tell you how to start a church, how to run a church, how to do this, how to do that. But are they doing it? No. The apostle Paul is out there and he looks like a fool because he's trying to attempt something for the Lord, trying to be obedient to the Lord. Whereas the Corinthians, they're wise. Now this is sarcastic preaching. He says, we're fools, you're wise. And does he really mean that the Corinthians are wise? Now, I'm explaining that for those of you who don't speak sarcasm, that he doesn't really mean that the Corinthians are wise. It's sarcastic. He goes on, verse number 10. For we are fools for Christ's sake, but ye are wise. We are weak, but you are strong. And the apostle Paul's been beat. He, he's all by himself. So many times he gets chased out of town. I mean, <laughs> we chase that pipsqueak out of town. And the Corinthians, they haven't had to suffer anything. 
they're fat and happy and rich and influenced and have a large church. They haven't had to suffer anything. Yep, that Paul, if he was really right with God, he wouldn't have to go run from somebody. He just needs to make friends with them all. I, well, if the apostle Paul could get along with him, he definitely would. He's not trying to antagonistically torture them. But you know, it's easy to criticize someone who's trying to do something for the Lord when you're doing nothing. <laughs> the apostle Paul, he's just so weak. He's pathetic. I mean, oh, you know, if he was as spiritual as us, that he wouldn't have to go from place to place. He wouldn't get chased out of town if he was, if he was just as spiritual as us. Well, who was really the spiritual people? It was Paul, not the church. Notice as he goes on. He says in verse 10, For we are fools for Christ's sake, but ye are wise in Christ. We are weak, but ye are strong. Ye are honorable, but we are despised. Here's the Corinthian church. They look good. They have friends all in town. Look, this is how we're supposed to carry ourselves. This is how we are. Don't be like the Apostle Paul. You know the Apostle Paul had to write a letter to a son of the faith. And in that letter, he said, don't despise my chain. He said, Timothy, don't turn your back because I'm in jail right now. You know, Paul got criticized quite a bit. And there were a lot of people who stopped following Paul because he ended up in jail. Well, let me tell you, if he was truly right with God, he wouldn't be in jail now. He was right with God. And that's why he's in jail. The Corinthians didn't suffer anything, but it's much easier to say someone who's hurting, someone who's going through it. Oh, that must be because they're not right. If they were as right with us, nothing bad would ever happen to them. We're honorable. Again, the Corinthians are full of pride that they could criticize and kick Paul when he's down and say, Paul is wrong. Because of this, they act like kings. They're able to look down and say, this is how to do it. This is how to be right. This is how to run a course. This is how to build a church. This is how to do this, how to do that. Why Paul is actually doing it. And he's suffering and he looks fool. He looks weak. He looks despised. Again, it is much easier not to suffer when you're not doing anything for the Lord. Someone says, well, I don't want to suffer for the Lord. Then be nothing, do nothing, and say nothing. The Bible makes a promise that, yea, all that are godly shall suffer persecution. Listen, if you don't have persecution in your life, that means there's something wrong in your life. Or the Bible's a lie and God didn't mean what he said. That's a promise just as much as John 3.16 is. But as long as you don't want to suffer, do nothing, say nothing, and be nothing. Because if you're going to follow God, there's going to be problems. Remember, as long as they're kicking you in the rear, you got the lead. The Apostle Paul's getting beat up because he's trying to do something for the Lord. Again, we all know people who like to talk, but they do nothing. Talk is cheap. Action. Step out. Try something for the Lord. Notice as he goes on in verse number 11. Even unto this present hour, we both hunger and thirst and are naked and buffeted and have no certain dwelling place. Now, the Apostle Paul is going to expand on this later on in 1 Corinthians, where he talks about the shipwrecks and the, uh, the things. By the way, may I remind you that when he's writing this, Paul is only halfway through his ministry. He's got a lot more yet to come. 
I mean, wouldn't you want to quit after, you know, half of this stuff? Like, I don't want to do this anymore. And the apostle Paul's continuing to go on. And he says, listen, I'm trying to do something for the Lord. Because of that, we suffer. We're hungry. We're thirsty. There are places we don't know what to do. We're beat up. We're buffeted. Verse 12, and labor and working with our own hands, being reviled. We bless, being persecuted. We suffer it. He says, when people make fun of us, we still turn around and say, how can I be a blessing to you? When they persecute us, we endure it because we don't want to yell at them or to revile them. We still want to win them to the Lord. We're not going to fight against them. Verse number 13, being defamed, we entreat. We are made as of the filth of the world and are the off scourge of all things unto this day. You want to talk about humbling yourself? Remember earlier it said, uh, it, we had this in a different message, that if you ever want to test your pride, then uh, be willing to be a fool for the Lord. And it doesn't mean that you act like a clown and act stupid in church. That's not what we're talking about. But the Apostle Paul is willing to suffer for people to, why is he knocking on doors? Why is he, you know, getting criticized? We're willing to look stupid as long as we're not being criticized. We draw the line at that. I remember once uh, in the military <laughs> had to be reevaluated uh, for finances. They were teaching us a finance course. And so we had to write a budget and in the budget, uh, again, I was single. I could give a lot more. Uh, having a family makes, you know, had to pay bills and stuff. <laughs> um, but, you know, I was able to tithe and give a lot to missionaries. And they took my, the military finance people who were smart, uh, looked at my budget and said, what in the world? How are you giving all this to the church? Don't you understand this is stupid? You're using your finances incorrectly. Well, I'm not going to change. This is what the Lord has me to do. But it's stupid. It doesn't make sense. Now, I understand that little tiny thing. But a lot of us aren't willing to be foolish to the world. We're not willing to allow them to criticize us. We're not willing to make a stand and let the world say something <laughs> bad about us. That's pride. But Paul says, I'm willing to be looked as the scum of the earth in order to be obedient to him. That's a big ass. That's against all of our pride because all of us want the attaboy. Everyone who wants, wants the good job. Everyone wants someone to say, thank you for being you. Are you willing to do that even if you don't get the praise? You don't get the applause? You don't get the attaboy? Are you willing to be obedient to the Lord even if everybody says you're stupid and you're an idiot? Why do you even do this? Notice as it goes on. Verse 14. I write not these things to shame you, but as my beloved sons, I warn you. He says, I'm not trying to hurt you with this. I'm trying to help you out as my beloved sons. Notice it goes on verse 15. For though you have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet ye, not, ye have not many fathers. For in Christ I have begotten you through the gospel. Verse 15 is a great verse if you never highlight it. Instructors carries the idea of teachers. And praise the Lord, we have people that influence and people that teach us. The idea of a father is someone who's made the choice to take the time to raise you. And in the Lord, we have people that raise us. We have a pastor. You have people who disciple. Those are people that invest. It's one thing to have an internet preacher, to have a TV preacher. And I have people that do that. that said, I don't have to go to church. I could watch and listen to my sermon on TV. Well, when it's all said and done, 
That internet preacher will not care for you like your pastor does. Your pastor thinks about you all the time. He prays for you all the time. When he goes to sleep, he thinks about you. When he wakes up in the morning, he thinks about you. He's praying for you. He cares for you. That when you're hurting, he hurts with you. He's praying for you. But when it's all said and done, that internet preacher, he doesn't know who you are. That TV preacher is not going to visit you in the hospital. They don't care for you like your pastor does. Like someone who invested and raised you. And he says, I love you and I care for you. I'm not trying to hurt you. I'm trying to help you because I've invested in you. Remember the Apostle Paul led most of these people to the Lord. The Apostle Paul discipled most of them. He spent time with them. He invested. He prayed. He said, when it's all said and done, those people don't care for you like I do. I want the best for you. I love you. I'm trying to give you some help. Verse number 16, wherefore, so because I care for you, I beseech you, be ye followers of me. He says, follow me as I follow Christ. Listen, don't yell at me. Don't discount me. Don't criticize me. Come join with me and let's follow God together. Let's go to God together. He says, if you're criticizing me, if you're tearing me down, you're hurting yourself. Let's go follow God together. Let's do that. He says, because of this, verse 17, for this cause I've sent to you Timotheus, who is my beloved son and faithful to the Lord, who shall bring you in remembrance of my ways, which be in Christ as I teach everywhere in every church. He says, because of this, I'm sending Timothy back to you. And he's just like me. I've taught him well. He believes like me. And he's going to bring all these things I taught you back to your remembrance. He says, because I love you, you need to refresh your course. Let's go back and teach you to keep your eyes on the Lord. Stop looking at each other. Stop being puffed up. Let's watch God. Which now brings us to the last thing here. He's seeing their pride that they're puffed up. And he says, because of your pride, you're acting like God, that feeling like you could judge everyone. Because of your pride, you're acting like kings that you could tell everyone what to do. And he says, because of your pride... It's all talk and no power. It's all talk and no power. Isn't that amazing? Because of pride, we could talk pretty big. We've seen this in our social media area. People will say things behind a keyboard that they'll never say to you face to face. It's very easy to be big and tough and prideful when you think you can get away with it. It's one thing to say something behind Paul's back. It's a different thing when Paul shows up. Notice what happens as Paul says, let's see, put this to the test. Verse 18. Now, some are puffed up as though I would not come to you. Now, some of the church were acting very big when Paul's gone. They're hedging their best bets that Paul is not coming back. Yep, yep, yep. If Paul was here right now, I would give him a piece of my mind. Yeah, if Paul was standing right here, I would tell him how to do the ministry. If Paul was standing right here, I would tell him he was wrong. I mean, it's very big to say what you're going to do when someone's not there. And he says, some of you are acting really big as if I'm not coming back. He says, but, verse 19, I will come to you shortly. It's uh, like the dreaded thing from mom. You wait till your father gets home. Just wait till Paul gets here. I'm coming back. When I come back, I'm taking care of business. In fact, notice what he says. 
But I would come to you shortly, if the Lord will, and ye will know, not the speech of them that are puffed up, but the power. He says, there's plenty of people that talks, and you want to see if talks cheap when, you show, when I show up, we'll see who has true power. Now, when God's behind Paul, God's got Paul's back. It's like having that big uh, brother right behind the guy standing behind the bully, right? Uh, go ahead and talk all you want. You're going to have to deal with the boss. Paul's not the boss. He's standing and representative of the boss. And this is what the boss says. You're going to have to deal with him. It's one thing. You want to think you're tough, but just go ahead and wait. He says, you better fix your attitude. Verse 20, for the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. Isn't it amazing how powerless Christians really are when they're carnal? But when we're right with God, God does amazing things to change lives, to bring people closer. There's power that God has. And there's power in God's word. And we could trust that God's word will do his work. But words are cheap. Verse 21, what will you then? So here's your choice. Shall I come to you with a rod or in love and a spirit of meekness? He says, it's your choice. When I come, do I clean house? Do I spank people? Do I fix things? Or do I come back and say, you know what? Good job fixing this up. Do I come in love and spirit of meekness? Now, the word meekness is important. That word meekness means strength under control. Meekness is not weakness. I heard someone give this illustration I thought was good. That if you have pacifist people who refuse to go to war, they are not peaceful. They are non-relevant. Peaceful people are people who can go to battle and choose not to. You understand? <laughs> people who refuse to fight and refuse to do anything, they don't have an outcome in the battle. But someone who is peaceful has the ability to go to war and chooses not to. That's a difference. Meekness is that same idea. Paul had great strength and power and the authority of God. But he could bring it under control. That's meekness. The Bible says that Moses was the meekest man who walked the earth. Did Moses have great power? Did he have the ear of the Lord? Absolutely. Did lots of things happen to the Egyptians under the hand of Moses? Through the power of God? Absolutely. But it was always under control. Did Paul have lots of power? He did. Did he have the authority of God behind him? But he says, listen, we do this one of two ways. I could come with a rod and we can correct behavior. Or you could fix your behavior and we can come and just have a great time. Take your pick. You know, when your dad gets home, you better get things right now or dad's going to take care of it when he gets home. Or, you know, fill in their own scenario or whatever it is. <laughs> Paul says, it's your choice. You humble yourself now or God's going to fix it later. He says, talk is cheap. There's lots of people who like to talk. But let's see if you're going to talk like this when I stand before you. Isn't it amazing? Pride backs down pretty quick when there's no substance behind it. Yeah, if Paul was right here, I'd give him a piece of my mind. If the president was right here, I would tell him such and such. Yeah, well, put you in front of the president and see what you do. 
pride allows us to be a lot braver when no one's around. But you put someone in charge and you watch someone go blah, 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 blah. We all do that. We watch people with, at work, right? Man, if a boss was here right now, the boss is behind him. And all of a sudden, you know, they don't have anything to say. That's what pride does. Pride gets us to the place where we feel like we're God and we could judge other people. Pride gets us to the place where we could be like kings and we could tell people what to do. Pride gets us to the place where we could do lots and lots of talking, but we have nothing to back it up. And this pride, more importantly, hinders the work of God. We don't want God's word hindered. All of us need God. In fact, we all need God more than what we think we do. We need God's help for every little thing, for every decision, everything. Stop trying to do it ourselves. Let's let God do his own work. And it'll be amazed what God can do with people that are surrendered and dependent upon him. Things are less dependent on you than what you think. Now that's a very ego piercing thing to understand and to believe and accept. Things are less dependent on you than what you think. Just let God do his own work. Just make yourself available. You're just an instrument And let's let's watch God do his own work. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus. And I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.